I or uh, put it out front uh, at the Resource Center and uh, love to have a record of your visit. Any prayer requests specifically, put those down because we're going to be praying for you. Anybody you know uh, needs to come to Christ, put their name down. We'll be praying over them. Today, I'm going to jump right in. I need a little extra time today because I've been waiting for a month to drop this word, which is the word of the Lord for the year. I'm going to take three Sundays to do it. Uh, there's three pieces to it, but I want to teach this today, uh, and I want it to go in you because I believe this is a prophetic word from God for us, which means for your individual life, it'll affect you personally. It will affect your family. It'll affect your world. It will, uh, my hope is it will help shape the culture of our church. So I really want you to get your ears out, your spiritual ears. Jesus said this in the book of Revelation. He that has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Wives, you know, some, you know the difference between your husband listening and hearing, right? Do you know, right? There's a difference, right? All right, can, can, he, can he hear you when he's watching the football game? Or is he just kind of going like this? Yeah, thanks God for DVRs. Yes, dear. Boy, when DVR was invented, the fruit of the Spirit in my life just soared. I'm patient. I'm available. It's amazing. So family of God, let's lock into this word this morning because I really believe it's from the Lord. I believe what the Lord said to me for us this year is he gave me the word blessing. And it's not primarily that we would be blessed, but that we would be a blessing to one another, to our city, to our nation, and even our world. God wants to so bless the world through us that he wants us to grab a hold of this so that we will, we will be a conduit from heaven into and through the earth. And if you can grab a hold of this and if we can partner with him in this, I believe we're going to see things this year that maybe we've never seen before. We are God's people, and we are called to bring blessings. The opposite would bring, bring cursings. God has not called us to curse. He has called us to bless. Jesus even went to the extreme to say, bless those who curse you, because we are a people that bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. And the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of blessing. It's God's job to judge. It is not ours. Our job is to bless even those who curse. Can I hear an amen yet? So this is going to turn some of our ships around. And it is going to line us up with heaven so that our lives and our postures, our minds, our attitudes, our postures, and our goals in life agree with Jesus's. And that click gets you clicked into heaven's flow, and then heaven begins. When you and I agree with heaven, heaven begins to flow. You know the scripture that says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When you look at that in the uh, grammatical structure of the Greek, what it means is heaven has already decided what is to be not allowed and to be allowed in the earth. And when you and I as the citizens of heaven, the word church is a secular word in the Roman um, society that means the gathering together of citizens to decree things. Jesus did not coin the term church. It was a, it was a Greek term meaning the gathering together of citizens to decide and determine things. 
So he says, my church, I will build my church. That means that you and I, as the people of, of God, come together under his authority. We find out what the Father wants and what he does not want. And then as we agree with him, we become his mouthpiece in the earth. And our prayers and our declarations and our words bring the kingdom into the situations. We see something that does not line up with the Father's heart and his will. We say no in Jesus' name. Or we say yes in Jesus' name. So my goal for this year, my personal goal, because the Lord has spoken this so clearly to me and I know it's from him, my personal goal is to be a greater blessing to everyone who my life comes into contact with. That's just my mode of operation. If somebody's right in front of me, how can I bless this person? And it extends out from there. My wife's goal is, she's calling it 52 acts. Every week for 52 weeks, she is going to proactively think, find someone to significantly bless. I want you to decide by today's message or next week or the third week, what is your goal in being a blessing to the people around you? Mark, uh, the associate pastor who's on vacation with Shelly right now, you know, he's a very, uh, he's very Canadian. He's from Canada. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't like to go to war. Mark, Mark's, Mark's kind of a pacifist. He stood up here a few weeks ago, and he was on fire about, around the passage of Scripture that says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. He was preaching on advancing the kingdom of God violently. We're a passionate church because that's the way the kingdom of heaven advances. The kingdom of heaven does not advance through mediocrity and, and through, through spiritual laziness because Satan is ferocious. He is violently on the war path to destroy and hurt people's lives. So the church needs to be not only a family but an army. So when Mark's preaching that and he was on fire, I'm like, wow, that's the spirit of God on him. Because I know all he's really wanting to do is go to a buffet somewhere after lunch, after, after church. He lives for football and food unless the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Then the Lord spoke to me to bring, to invite Paula Fredrickson down. The next Sunday, she's in the pulpit and she preached on advancement. That this year, 2014, is the year of advancement. Then Chuck Pierce came down, who's an internationally uh, renowned prophet, and he spoke the same thing. This is a year of advancement. And so I believe that the word God has given to me for us for the next few weeks is our part in playing, our part to play in advancing the kingdom of God in our lives, our marriages, our homes, our city, nation, and world. So what does it look like to bless? There are three things I want to share with you in the, in the introduction. And these are the three things we're going to hit over the next three Sundays. One, say what God is saying. Number two, pray what God is praying. And number three, do what God is doing. Will you say that out loud with me? This is our mantra. This is our chant. This is, this is our battle cry. Say it with me. Say what God is saying. Pray what God is praying. And do what God is doing. Say it with me again. Say what God is saying. Pray what God is praying. And do what God is doing. Now, I felt like that's the strategy the Lord gave to me. And I said to the Lord, you know, that's kind of, you know, yeah, it's kind of, you know, just like, right? It's almost like I came up with that. And so I said, I, I really want you to confirm that. So I looked up the word bless in the Greek, 
Look at the definition. Think about say, pray, and do. And look at the definition of bless. To bless in the Greek, there's three components to it. The first component to bless means to speak well of, to praise, to celebrate with praises, to invoke blessings upon a person. The word invoke means to call forth and to put into effect or operation. Say what God is saying. The second definition of to bless, to consecrate a thing with solemn prayers and to ask God's blessing on a thing. Pray what God is praying. And thirdly, to cause to prosper, to make happy, and to to bestow blessings on. Do what God is doing. Say with me again. Say what God is saying. Pray what God is praying. Do what God is doing. Those are the three points that we are going to nail for the next three Sundays. Let's start with the first one because this is the first thing God said to me. And it is the most important out of all three of them. And that is to say what God is saying. The way this began is, uh, Stephanie, you're here. I asked you guys if there was anything you wanted me to teach during our Holy Spirit series. I got an email from Stephanie to make one of our missionaries here. And she said, I don't have anything to ask you about the Holy Spirit because I know everything about the Holy Spirit. But she did not say that. I would think that after we spoke, taught on it for 12 weeks, there was really nothing more to ask. And so she said, but I do have this question. What does it mean to bless? She said, I know I need to pray for somebody, but beyond that, I would love to hear you teach on that sometime. And so I just quickly responded to her. What I did know about the root word to bless is to speak well of someone or say something kind about somebody. And then I, I mentioned the Balaam and Balak passage in the Bible. Um, about, uh, you know, uh, cursing a people or blessing a people with your words. And then after I sent it to her, I felt like, I said, Lord, I feel like something's on this. You want to say something to me about this? And so I grabbed my Bible, I opened it up, and it opened up to the Balaam and Balak passage. I studied it out, and then I spoke to Shelly on the phone, uh, my uh, assistant uh, woman's pastor here in the church. And she said the same thing to me on the phone. We need to watch our words. Then I get in the car to drive my staff meeting. And on the way there, I turn on the radio and Joyce Myers comes on the radio. And she was just all about the words of your mouth. Three times in about two hours. Then I get to the staff meeting and I mention this to them. And one of the people in the staff meeting said, God has so got me on this point. And she was talking about how uh, the words of your mouth not only can harm others, it harms yourself. We're going to look at that. Then I go into the prayer meeting, and one of the intercessors said, God has said we need to watch the words of our mouth. I'm like, all right. See, God has to give it to me five times in in four hours because he knows how slow I am. (laughs) So... The most profound scripture in the Bible regarding the power of our words, I don't have it on the PowerPoint, so if you guys could grab it, I want it in the Amplified as well, is Proverbs uh, chapter 18, and then we're going to go to the Balaam-Balak passage, and we're going to walk down through that together. Um, Hang on here. Proverbs 18.21 in the Amplified. Can you get that up, Chris? Proverbs 18, verse 21. 
Okay, say this with me out loud, family. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. God wants our tongues. Next week, I'm going to teach on praying what God is praying. And on Monday, we're going to start a three-day fast. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week, I would like to call us on a fast as we set ourselves apart to God. Joshua told the people, prepare yourselves for in three days we're going over the Jordan to the promised land. I really believe God is calling us into the promised land this year. And I want us to set ourselves apart for three days. And during that three-day fast, one of, the, one of the main things I want us to sanctify or set apart or give to God is our tongues. I'm going to ask you to do something that you're going to find very difficult. I'm going to ask you not to say one critical word about anybody for those three days. I believe we come out of that. I believe God is going to set our tongues right. And that we will, be able, we will begin to speak God's language, which is the language of blessing and encouragement and love and kindness. And I believe we're going to find more power in our praying and in our speaking because we are aligning our tongues with God's. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen? And I want that to become the culture of our body. Not that we're a nasty, cursing, mean people, but I believe God wants to take us up to another level. Some of you may be, and this is a great word for you. All right. So... Let's go to the book of Numbers and verse 22. And I want us to look at this passage of Balaam and Balak. And I want to walk down through it with you. The Bible has so much to say about this topic. There's no way I could do an exhaustive teaching on it in one day. But I do want to hit this passage because, as I, as I said a few minutes ago, God led me to this passage. It is so powerful. Let's just start reading in uh, chapter 22, starting with verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Now, you've got to see Balak as Satan in this. See him as the enemy. Satan, listen, I, it, really, it really disturbs me for believers who are afraid of Satan and afraid of, afraid of the devil and the powers of darkness. Another movie's coming out. I saw it, and you know the priest gets beat up by the devil. In every movie that comes out of Hollywood, the priest loses and the devil wins. He gets thrown through windows and stuff. That makes me so mad. Do you know that if a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, who knows who they are in Jesus Christ and the power of his name, was in that movie, the movie would be about three seconds long. Smith Wigglesworth has a testimony where he, his, his bed shook in the middle of the night and he woke up and Satan was standing in his doorway of his bedroom. And Smith said, oh, it's only you, and went back to sleep. The Bible says when we see him on that day, we will say, this is the one who, who deceived the nations. Certainly he has power, but he intimidates 
And I, the reason I bring this up is because the tables are actually turned in reality for a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ who has the name of Christ submitted to the authority of God. Satan is afraid of the church. The church is not to be afraid of Satan. Balak here is, is sick, it says sick and afraid of the people of God because they're coming his way. But I want to say this. I'm not talking about some political spirit or some natural uh, military spirit. I'm talking about the kingdom of God advances on our knees. It's a spiritual warfare. We dismantle the works of the enemy in an individual's lives, in our own lives, in our city, nation, and world. On our knees, we pull down strongholds, powers, and principalities. And then we love our enemies, and it completely messes up the playing field. That's why Jesus says, bless those who curse you, because he doesn't want you getting into a negative, fleshy, demonic dynamic. You remain a kingdom citizen, bringing the kingdom when you remain a blesser and not a curser. Let's continue to read. So Moab, verse 4, said to the elders of Midian, now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call, saying, look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Balaam lives 400 miles away from Balak. Balak was so desperate to defeat this people, he calls somebody that's 400 miles away that takes about a month to get there just because he understands the power of words. You know, God created the worlds with his word. God said, light be, and light, 186,000 miles per second. Jesus turns a fig tree and cursed it. The next day, Peter was amazed. That fig tree you cursed yesterday, it's dead. And Jesus said, hey, you're going to do greater things than that. You can say to this mountain, the power of our words. The secular world knows the power of words to the point where this guy, this king, is calling for someone 400 miles away to come just to speak words over a group of people, to curse them, because he knows if you will curse them with words, I can then probably defeat them in the natural. The secular world knows the power of words. You and I, the people of God, need to understand the power of our words. And believe you me, the power of the words of a follower of Jesus Christ are, are millions of times more powerful than the words of darkness. In fact, you read through this passage, in fact, I think, think chapter 24, verse 1, says that Balaam stopped trying to use sorcery. Balaam was not a prophet of God, though God communicated with him pretty directly. And the communication was, you better not curse my people. And an angel came to kill him for trying to do so. I don't think that's changed. 
And the last thing God wants is for God's people to be cursing one another. I was at a convention one time, and I got there at 4 a.m. because I wanted to have a front row seat at Anaheim Convention Center, and I was like the 10th person in line. And there's, you know, everybody's camped out with their sleeping bags, and you're hungry, you want to be at the front row, you want to be at that convention. And the person in the front of the line and the person, the second person in the line started getting in a fight over who was supposed to be first in the line. And the, fir- the lady in the front of the line turns around to the second lady and says, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And I thought, that's probably what he gave us his name for. To rebuke one another at a Christian conference so you could have the first seat. No wonder the Lord can't trust us with his power. <laughs> We'd be cursing each other off the planet. Let me tell you this story. Because these are things that we are beginning to understand, um, I, w- I want to tell you my experience in the power of words. One of the most p- profound experiences I had in understanding this truth. And I'm still growing in it. I mean, I'm nowhere near where I think we can be in this truth. I went up to uh, the mountains a number of years ago, about 20 years ago. I went up to the mountains. I wanted to seek God. I went up with my, my dog and a jug of water, and that was it. And I was up there for three days up at Big Bear, and I was just praying and fasting before the Lord. And I brought one book with me by E.W. Kenyon called The Blood Covenant. And it was talking about covenant and what covenant really means in tribal cultures and what it meant when God cut a covenant with Abraham. The blood covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sins, that demons flee from the blood of Jesus. I'm reading this little booklet. It got so into me. That I was, I, was, I was in prayer, I started seeing the power that we have as the people of God. I had a friend of mine named Donnie who was, li- I, I, who was living with me. I just gave him a place to stay in a one-bedroom apartment, sleeping on my couch. Hadn't had a job in three years. And I, it, compassion for him so welled up in me, and I was so angry at his condition. I stood there in that A-frame up in Big Bear, and I pointed my finger, and I said, In the name of Jesus Christ, I declare Donnie has a job. Now, it felt powerful, but, you know, I mean, did it really do anything? I came down from the mountain, and my friend Brian, who's right here in the church, was my neighbor, came up to me, and he said, you'll never guess who got a job. I said, I know who got a job, Donnie. He goes, how do you know? You've been out of town. And I said, what day did he get it on? Tuesday, which is the day I spoke it. Now, When you operate in that kind of power, you can think it's you. And that's a huge mistake. We are the people of God, the citizens of heaven in the earth, declaring the will of God into the earth. If we can exercise that much power with blessing, how much power do you think we can release on one another with cursing? This is why God's going to kill him if he goes and tries to curse his people. Let's go down to uh, verse 12. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. These men came to say, Come curse God's people. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. How were they already blessed? Because God had spoken blessings over this people when he spoke to their spiritual father, Abraham. 
and said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing and your descendants from now on are going to be blessed. So God spoke a promise and a destiny over the Jewish people through Abraham. That's why God says, don't curse what I have blessed. You can't curse them because this people are blessed. Why were they blessed? Because God spoke blessings over them already. And if you are in Christ Jesus, God has spoke blessings over you through the blood of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are blessed. That's why Ephesians 1 bursts open with, with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is why you and I need to not be so spiritually insecure. We are blessed. The kingdom of God is ours. Jesus said, don't run after the things the world's running after. What you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on. Because it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But seek first the father and his business. And I'll add all this other stuff to you. That's what the father is saying to us this year. Let's be a people that are out to bless our city, nation, and world. And God will cause his blessings to overflow us while we are about the Father's business. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Verse 35 through 38. I'm jumping through this story because obviously I don't have the time on a Sunday morning to go scripture by scripture. Verse 35 through 38. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send you, calling for you? Why didn't you come to me? Am I not able to honor you? You know, I'm offering you money. And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I've come to you. Now, I have, now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that, I, that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. Well, yeah, I mean, if you read the story, you can see how he came from uh, coming to curse a people to, for money to I'm only going to speak what God tells me to speak. Because up to this point, between the time he was called and the time he gave this statement, his donkey talked to him. And an angel appeared with a sword in his hand saying, if it wasn't for your donkey moving you out of my way, I would have killed you. You better only say what I tell you to say. <laughs> All right? And I wonder if that's what God is with a velvet hammer saying with us today, saying to us today. Stop cursing. Stop using your tongue to criticize, condemn, gossip, slander, and curse. I don't know what that is. Probably somebody blessing somebody. Listen, this is so powerful. This truth is not only about us, what kind of damage we can do to one another. It's also what we can do to ourselves. And that point I'm going to bring out. I only have a few more minutes to be teaching this morning, but I really want to get to this. But listen to this. And for you, any of you in here who have a marriage that's really on the verge and the brink of divorce, don't let this word discourage you. Let it be instructional because this can turn your life around. It can turn your marriage around. 
Marriage counselors say there are four levels of degradation in a marriage. The last one, which they say it's pretty much hopeless at that point, is when the married couple begin to call each other names. You're cursing one another. So if you're doing that, don't say, oh, well, I guess there's no hope. We have already reached that level. Turn it around. Just realize that your tongue, life and death is in the power of the tongue. You're killing your own marriage. Speaking negative words over your children, it literally is shaping them and going into them versus speaking positive words into them. Jesus said the words that I speak are spirit and they are life. We have been created in the image of God. Now, I'm not going to go to new age and say you can speak and create, but I will say as the people of God, if we're speaking what God is speaking, God can create. I want to say this too. The Bible says you and I can literally impart grace to one another with our words. In the book of of Ephesians, it says, speak words of encouragement to one another and you impart empowerment, impart grace. You literally impart spiritual power to one another when you speak words of life. In the exact same passage, it says, do not use foul language. Do not cuss. Cursing is cursing. That's why Satan loves to use our tongue to curse with. Using foul, unclean words out of the mouth are cursing. And not only curses those in your hearing, it's certainly not imparting grace. It's imparting filth. God's not cursing, so it's not cool. But not only are you, not only are you imparting that, but you, you are cursing the person with your words and you are polluting your own soul. How can God trust us with his power when we're using our tongues to to damn and to curse and for foul language? Now, I don't mean that you are, that, that in verse 35 through 8, it says we are only to say what God is saying. You know, he also says something else to me four times in 24 hours. I won't tell you that each, each event because it will take up time and it's not necessary. Four times in 24 hours, he said this to me. The way you see somebody is the way you will treat them. And it ties into the words of our mouth because the way we see somebody is the way we will talk about them. And here's the truth. All of us are imperfect. The kingdom of God is all about imperfections. We're all stumbling through, trying to make it, and becoming like Christ. We all have personality quirks and character flaws, and we sin, and we, we have negative parts to us. And when you're in a church body, or when you're at work in an environment, or at school, wherever you are with people, you're going to be surrounded by imperfections, and you're contributing. Unless you're Jesus Christ, you are contributing to the imperfect environment. It's so easy to see one another's frailties and weaknesses and shortcomings, isn't it? And we feel them because they afflict everybody around you. And so what we can do through that frustration and irritation and even hurt is out of us comes words about who that person is. Well, I know what they are, and this is what they're doing, and this is who they are, and this is how I feel about it. 
I was talking, to, I was at a volleyball parent meeting yesterday for my children, and the volleyball teacher said, you know, last, week, last year there was a group of parents who sat up on the side and they were frustrated with the way the, coaching was coach, the coach was coaching. They didn't see the whole picture. They didn't know why the coach was coaching the way they were coaching. And she explained to us what the coach was doing. But this group of parents would sit on the side and they would be at a table and they'd just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about how the coach is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. One of the parents actually jumped onto the court and started coaching the kids while the coach was there. And they ended up leaving the organization. Thank God. And she said, what good does that do? Nothing is going to get accomplished at that table except negativity and destruction and division. And it weakened the volleyball team because they decided to go somewhere else. And all that did was breed negativity into the mind of the heart of those people. Now, that's just a volleyball team. What about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? She said, if they just came to me and talked with me, I would explain to them why we do what we do. And if you don't agree, you know, this is just the way we're going to do it. There's a million ways to do it. And one of the most damaging things that a church can do is to go out to Starbucks and criticize the church. Jesus is not doing that. Jesus sees the imperfections of the church, and he's praying for it. You can't be criticizing and praying at the same time unless you're a Satanist. (laughs) Because that's what they are doing, by the way. That's what they do. Next week, I'll talk to you about that. There's the book. It's called Somebody's Praying for Your Pastor, Even If You Are Not. You guys don't want leadership cursing you, talking about your weaknesses, and having no hope for you. And the leadership certainly doesn't want you doing it. And your brothers and sisters in the congregation don't want to be talked about in that way. We have got to remove cursing from our lips. God is... What is God saying about your husband, your wife, your kids, your boss, your pastor, your church members, your city, your state, your president? What is God saying about these people? The president of the United States. Yes. What is, what's coming out of God's mouth about our president? The last thing he wants to do is curse him because he would be cursed. And that would not be good for us. If you know anything about spiritual authority, it's church, family, and government. If you curse the head, it curses the body. That's a huge wake-up call for America that's a democratic nation. We do not understand. We have power because we are a democratic nation. The kingdom of God is not democratic, by the way. But we have power, and we think that we, we just don't understand the power of our words is the point. So as we're cursing our president... He has to work through our cursings to become a good leader for our nation. That's why the Bible says, pray for everyone who's in authority. And he was talking about Nero at the time who was persecuting Christians. I mean, like real persecution. So he comes out with this first prophecy, and instead of cursing, out comes blessing. In, verse, in chapter 23, verse 11 and 12, I'm going to move quickly now. I think you're getting the point. Chapter 23, verse 11 and 12, after Balaam opens his mouth and a blessing comes out, Balak said to Balaam, verse 11 of chapter 23, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and you blessed them bountifully. 
So he answered and said, must I not speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Satan hates it when we bless each other because he knows the power of words. Remember, put Satan in Balak's place there because that's the role he's playing. I want to say it again. When you and I get on the side of cursing, we're on Satan's side. He's the accuser of the brethren, and he is a curser. When you and I bless, even our enemies seems like, oh! Curse them back! Not going to do it. One of the main reasons is it actually damaged your own soul. I'm going to uh, pop out of this passage here. Well, I want to show you one thing in this passage before we go. When I talked about God speaking blessings on us in chapter 23 while we're there, look down at verse 18, chapter 23, verse 18. When I said that God prophesied blessings over them through Abraham and God has prophesied blessings over you through Jesus Christ, look at this passage. Then he took up his oracle. This is the second prophecy. Rise up, Balak, and hear. Balaam is saying, listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man. Now, he's taking him to another mountain to prophesy from a different place because maybe that will work. God is not a man that he should lie nor son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. I'll say a word right here. I can't teach on it, but let me say this. He tried to curse them four times. It wouldn't work. But then he said, okay, God's people are blessed. You can't curse them. But I'll tell you how to get them. Get them to sin, and then they'll curse themselves. And he got them into sexual immorality, and then they were cursed. They repented. God forgave them, but there was damage was done. For the hyper-grace people, they'll reject that teaching. But this passage about people being cursed by getting into sin... This passage to Balaam and Balak and how Balaam led them into sin is found in the book of Jude and the book of James and Jesus quotes it in the book of Revelation. Don't think that you and I as the people of God who are blessed and just go off into sin and think that it doesn't matter. It does. You open the door to the enemy. When you come out from underneath God's submission, submission to God's authority and you go off over here doing things that God has not called you to do as his people... And we open the door to the enemy. That's exactly what happened in this passage. This is a spiritual law. It's not the law. It's not legalism. It's not about rules. It's about the kingdom of God and the nature of the kingdom of God and how it operates in the earth. For he goes on and says this. Verse 23. For there is no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel. There's a debate in the kingdom of God whether Christians can be cursed by others. I personally don't believe they can be because we are blessed. He says there's no sorcery against Israel, no divination against Jacob. He's saying my sorcery is not working against them because they are blessed. But I do believe that if we dabble in it and we get outside of the covenant of God and we are involved in other things, that we're going to open ourselves to these. So if you've had a history of people, your mom, your dad, your grandmother, grandfather, people that were into sorcery and witchcraft, we can break that in Jesus' mighty name. You are now in a completely separate kingdom. You are now underneath the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God has spoken blessings over you. I'm not going to teach on that any more than that, but you can see it right here. This is great uh, evidence for those who 
are wondering about whether sorcery and witchcraft can work against believers, he says in verse 23, for there is no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel. So just consider that. But coming down to this final point, which is pretty strong, regarding the fact that we actually curse ourselves when we curse others, I want to show you a couple passages of Scripture. We're going to jump out of this. In Psalm 109, if you'll go there with me, I told you I needed just a little extra time today, so please bear with me because this really is and can be a life-changing word for marriages in this house, families in this house, individuals in this house, and for a church and our ability to walk in the blessings of God at levels we've never walked before. Are you with me? Psalm 109. And in verse 17 through 21, as he loved cursing, so let it come to him. And he did not delight in blessing, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment, so let it enter his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him like the garment which covers him and for a belt which with which he girds himself continually. Let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers and to those who speak evil against my person. Now let's go to the book of James, and James says it point blank. And as you're going there to the book of James chapter 3, I want to say this on the reverse side. As I was studying this out, you know how you know a truth, but the Lord reveals it, and it's like it goes to a whole other dimension, or it refreshes it, and you're back on top of it again. You're like, oh, yeah. Peter said, hey, it doesn't bother me to remind you of the same truths over and over again. And after I go on to heaven, I'm going to make sure somebody's here to continue to remind you of the same truths over and over again. Because we have to remind you of these truths, especially these kind of spiritual truths that I'm teaching today, the power of the tongue. It's so easy to get caught up in gossip, isn't it? Isn't that easy? It feels good to gossip. You find somebody who will slander somebody with you, especially if they maybe have hurt you, and you kind of get up in it. But it's for prayer purposes, right? The reverse is true, too, that you can bless. There's more to the person than what you see. God created them in his image. And maybe they're struggling with their weaknesses and their temptations, whatever it might be. Be a blesser. Help them with your tongue. Speak words of life over them. Amen. Jesus is. That's right. Man. So, on the positive side, and then we'll go back to the negative side. Because this is positive and negative, right? The tongue, life and death. So I'm going back and forth from blessings and cursings because it goes both ways. When I got a hold of this, the first day it hit me and this revelation sprung forth again, I ripped my rotator cuff about 25, 30 years ago trying to show off in front of my high school friends benching 300 pounds. And I'd done 295 and I thought I'm going for 300. But when your warm-up weight feels heavy, it's not the day to try to max out. But my friend was visiting me from high school and I wanted to show off. And so... What did I get? I ripped my rotator cuff. I haven't been able to do push-ups for 30 years. After I was studying this word, I had such faith on me, I spoke to my shoulder. I said, in Jesus' name, I call you blessed. You are strong and healed and whole. I've been doing push-ups for the last 30 days and have not had one ounce of pain in my shoulder. It doesn't happen 100% of the time, but it's not going to happen at all if we don't start understanding these things and walking in them, right? The power of words. If Jesus can curse a fig tree, can we speak to a shoulder? 
many times, I mean, the centurion came to him. The centurion came to him and said, and Jesus said, I'll come to your house and he'll lay hands on, my, on your daughter and heal. And he said, he said, oh no, I understand authority. I'm submitted to authority just like you are. Just speak the word, my servant will be healed. Jesus said, I haven't seen such great faith even among God's people. He was a Roman centurion, but he understood the power of words. He also understood authority. You can't rebel against authority. God has set up authority structure in the earth and it's here to stay. That's what got Satan in trouble. You can't rebel against authority and expect to operate in the power of God, at least to the degree that he has called us to operate in. This guy said, oh no, I have men to do what I say when I tell them. This sickness will do whatever you tell it to do. And Jesus is like, wow, he gets it. And Jesus said, your daughter's healed. And he went home and the daughter was healed. Faith, words, authority, they're all connected, one and the same. Before we read the James passages, um, I'm going to touch on what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You know that passage where Jesus says, I know I'm taking a little extra time. I asked for it, right? You guys are captive, so you've got to say yes, I guess. We'll just walk out, but it's so important. Jesus said, um, he that's angry with his brother, you've, you've heard it say don't murder, but I'm saying he who's angry with his brother is in danger of the judgment. The word judgment there means crisis. The Greek word is crisis. And the word anger, there isn't just the normal motion of anger, it's vengeance. If you are seething with vengeance against someone, you are going to bring crisis into your own life. Then it says, if you call him rock, empty-headed, that's about his intelligence and his skill set, his capabilities. He says, you're in danger of a counsel. There's going to be a spiritual accountability on you. Then he says, if you call him fool, which means you're cutting into the person's character, you're in danger of hellfire, meaning it's going to release hell in your life. These are spiritual truths that Jesus is warning us about, and this is exactly what James talks about, Jesus' half-brother. So now let's read what James says. In the, I want to do this out of the New Living Translation. James, cha- James chapter 3, right? You got the, the reference up there, Chris, in the notes? James chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And then I want to leave you with a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. James chapter 3, look at this. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly because of the words we speak. It shapes the minds and the behavior of God's people. That's why we're held uh, more accountable. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Now think about it in the positive. This is the negative uh, aspect. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. Stop right there. He's not talking about the body of Christ. It says not a sociological context. He's talking about the individual curses themselves, their own soul, when they are speaking negatively about others. I wonder how much sickness and disease and depression and oppression come from this. 
I have a testimony on deck right now. The person said, I'm not ready for it yet, but there's somebody who has a powerful testimony on this point right here and how God told them to change their tongue and it literally changed the negative circumstances in and on them. I got one amen right on. Okay, it's you and me. All right, we're just going to... It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. Keep going. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Keep going. For sometimes it praises our Lord and our Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Keep going. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. And he's not talking just morally. He is talking spiritually. You and I have the power to bless and to curse. And God is saying to us, family of God, I'm asking you, the Gathering Place Church, to partner with me and using your tongue for blessing. Even blessing those who curse you. It will maintain you as the victor. You will not be baited by Satan into the dark side, which will only curse yourself and your environment. But you will be bringing my kingdom when you speak blessings everywhere you go. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So I'm going to leave you with this. The book of Numbers, chapter 6 And this is something I want to do over you as often as possible, hopefully every week, but definitely consistently this year. In Numbers chapter 6, this is so interesting that God says to Aaron, who was the spiritual covering over his people at that time. This is why it's so important to be under spiritual authority. Authority is given not to rule, but to serve. And one of the ways that authority serves is by protecting and invoking blessings. So when somebody has an independent spirit and they say, oh, no, we're not under anybody's authority. We're under the authority of God. God has given delegated authority throughout the whole earth. It's a test of character and humility. We all need to be submitted to delegated authority somewhere, somehow in our lives. Because it's under that covering that God's blessings flow. And you see this kingdom dynamic right here where the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 22 of Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now listen to this so they shall put my name. That, that right there in the Hebrew means to invoke. So they will invoke, as I said earlier, the definition of invo- evoke is to call forth and to put into effect or operation. God is saying when the spiritual authority or the priestly covering over my people will speak these words, he will be invoking the effectiveness of my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. 
Is this, now when I say I'm going to do this, is this about me being more important than you? Absolutely not. Am I more special than you? Absolutely not. But I have been put into a position to bless you simply because of the position. And you bless me and I bless you and we bless each other and we're agreeing with God who has already blessed us and the blessings will flow. Amen? Amen? So I'm praying from this day forward, if you hear somebody in this house cursing somebody in this house, slap them in Jesus' mighty name. (laughs) Grab a hold of their tongue and say, I'm going to hold on to this until you decide to stop it. Because this is a house of blessing. Amen? All right, if you'll stand, I'm going to speak this blessing over you, and I'm going to release you. And then we're going to take up the second part next Sunday, and the third part the following Sunday. Also next Monday when we start our three-day fast, we're all going to start, also start something we're calling 30 days of blessing. 30 days. We're going to get into the mode of just blessing people. You're going to get an email every morning in your inbox about blessing and the power of blessing. And we're just going to get into this mode of blessing and speaking blessings, prophesying blessings, invoking the blessings of God on people. Satan is just going to hate it. Blessing people. He hates that. Pick out, I feel this is from the Holy Spirit, pick out the person who just irks you the most. And this isn't to control them. This is to get off the devil's page and get on Jesus' page. The person that, that provokes you the most, that you, the person you disdain the most, begin speaking blessings over them. It'll get your spirit into a divine place. And listen, they need to be blessed because they're a mess. Because that's what God's trying to do with them. Amen? So here we go. Hon, will you come up here with me? My wife and I are in agreement on this. And when there's somebody, we've laughed a few times this past week because there's some people doing some knucklehead things. They're not knuckleheads. They're doing some knucklehead things. (laughs) And as on the airplane, you tell them about the airplane. What happened? Um, When we were on our flight to uh, Oahu, there was a woman sitting right directly behind us who thought that she would help us with our parenting. And so uh, we very kindly, John said, we've got it. And uh, she continued, at which point I said, we really, we really do have it. And then John turned to me and I knew exactly what he meant. He said, you know what? I'm sure underneath it all, she's a very caring person. She, she really, she cares about us and she cares about our she children. She cares deeply. That's how you turn it. That's how you turn it. Satan wanted us to rip her up with our tongues. And we just look at each other. We're doing this. We are doing this. We just turn it around. I bet you I know it's that person's really like deep, deep down. (laughs) We call it forth in Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to speak this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name. God bless you, family of God. Go bless someone.